Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Today, we be sipping on some local coffee because this is, again, a local case. So we figured a local coffee roaster would be appropriate. This is from King's Arms Coffee, and we are what is this? The Skyway Espresso? Skyway Espresso. Yeah, it is so. so good. Yeah, it's really good. It's um, chocolate and blueberry pie flavored. Yeah, I'm hype as shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. I'm hype. <laughs> and I love the blueberry. You can like kind of taste that in there. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. So thank you for tuning back in. Today we have part two of good old... Bobby Joe Long. I keep I keep like mixing it with Stephen Parker Ray, and I'm like Bobby Joe Ray, Billy Joel, and <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus. Why do they all have Ray. Why do they all have three names? <laughs> Just to remind you what we talked about last week, Robert or Bobby Joe Long. He was born with that extra X chromosome. He had like 16,000 head injuries. Oh my gosh. The count on the head (laughs) injuries was wild. Wild. And then we got into the beginning of his criminal histories. Which is also wild because that was just the beginning. And I feel like we covered way too many people for that to be like the start of it all. He's a messed up dude. Um, So we started to see him evolve into murders and then... We stopped after Halloween of 1984 when Kimberly Hopp's body was discovered in a patch of mud. That's the girl that he murdered on October 7th. So it is now November 3rd. Hold on to this because this is probably the most important part of this case. But so on this day, he kidnapped 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh. So she was riding her bike home from work one day, and he literally snatched her by her fucking hair. Oh, my God. Yeah. 17-year-old, by the way. So little change in MO because all of his victims, except for the 17-year-old girl that he, quote, dated in California. I don't really know. But this is the first victim that is is not an adult. She's a kid. A minor. Yes, she's a minor. He forced her into his car at gunpoint and forced her to perform oral sex on him. I know, I don't like saying that. As he drove back to his apartment. This is going to be very different from the other crimes that he's committed. Like, when I say change in MO, this is like, this is a different person. This is very, hold on to your, hold on to your horses. (laughs) Hold on to them, thanks. So, at his apartment... He continuously raped her, and then he took her into the shower with him, and he was treating her like a, quote, girlfriend. What? Yeah, very disturbing. He was, like, telling her how pretty she was and stuff, and just, like, that he didn't want to hurt her, and, like, just, like, being super nice to her. Yeah, really weird. I literally just Dis- disturbing. physically got Disturbing. Um, oh, like, oh. she's also a fucking kid, so, like, why, why is this the person that you're going to... He so he attempted to sodomize her, but he stopped because she told him that it hurt. So he literally stopped. I'm so confused. Yeah. And so that gun that he had that he used to force her into the car, he had it on his nightstand in his bedroom and he took the bullets out so that he wouldn't be compelled to kill her. He was going to extra lengths to like 
stop himself from doing these behaviors. Okay. So that's how you also know mentally he's not good. Yes, that and that's just further proof that he is an organized sexual sadist. Like yes. He he knows what he's doing when he does it. He's able to stop himself from doing it in this situation. So he'd be able to stop himself from doing it in any situation. So that's how you know if he's about to go stand up in front of a jury for this, he knows what he's doing. He's not going to get anything that has to do with insanity. Uh, that's my take, though. Yeah, so super odd behavior and change in MO. He blow-dried her hair, fed her, and told her that he wished they met under different circumstances. You snatched her by her hair, but you wish it would have been different, huh? Yeah, and I just, I don't get, I don't understand, like, why her? Just her being a child and, like, him having this complete change doesn't really make sense with everything that he's done. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing in his life or childhood that would cause him to be kind to a child. Yeah. Not that he's being kind, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So she was there for a total of 26 hours and he decided to take her home after 26 hours. He blindfolded her and he told her that when she tells authorities, because obviously she's going to tell obviously, authorities, he's not yeah. stupid, to tell them that the person who did this was black, had long, greasy hair, and a pot-marked face. What the fuck does that mean? Do you know what that means? Maybe like acne scars? Because they always called them like potholes. I know it's really not nice, but that's like what I've heard it called. You're right. Well, that's the character he told her to describe to authorities, so... On the way to driving her home, he stopped at a bank. He, like, got out of the car. This girl was smart. She was smart. This gave her a chance to peek out from under the blindfold a little bit. She, like, didn't take it off because she didn't want him to know, but she was able to look around her, and she was able to identify the color of the car, maroon, um, the location of the bank, and any other landmarks around her that would help her identify the man to the police. 17 years old. Really smart girl. So he dropped her off in the parking lot, kissed her goodbye, and told her to take care. Kissed her goodbye? Yeah. I would throw up. I know. So she returned home at around 4.30 a.m., and she went right up to her dad's room, woke him up, and they immediately went to the police. This is really sad because, I mean, she was only there for 26 hours, and I guess in later interviews, it was revealed that, like, she kind of had instances of Stockholm Syndrome where she said she went through periods of confusion where she, like, wanted to stay there. She was probably so confused because Mm -hmm. of the way he was treating her. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Lisa a little bit more. Okay. You know, because, I mean, she's the only person who's gotten away from him. But she was abused by her grandmother's boyfriend when she was younger, and she thinks that this experience kind of is what helped her know how to talk to Long and to, like, get him out of killing her, basically. Because she was acting, like, behaving and reacting to him a certain way to, like, keep him from getting angry. Because, I mean, a lot of the times that he's murdered these women, he didn't even do it like he was going to do it that second. It was like the one girl was crying and he was annoyed and he killed her, you know? So he was definitely a very reactive person. I was about to say that, yeah. But she said... I had to take all the abuse I had endured as a child and just reach down one more time into the pit of my stomach and tap into those survivor skills in order to overcome him psychologically. She's smart. Very smart. Um, She actually wrote her own book on this. It's called Smoldering Embers, if you're interested in reading it. I kind of am. Yeah, she did. She did a lot of 
very smart things, but she left things around the house as evidence. So like she left like a barrette near the bed to prove she was there. And if anybody knows the David and Catherine Bernie case, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you listen to that. I know I told you to listen to it. Kate, the victim in that case did the same thing and she was young too. So just really smart, really smart girls. I would never think to do that. Neither would I. I think Kate's biggest fear was that no one would believe her that, uh, David, David and Catherine Bernie kidnapped her. That was her big fear. And I'm sure that that's what Lisa was thinking too, especially cause she was, you, you know, you go to the police and this is 1985 and you're like, Hey, a man kidnapped me. He was being really nice to me and he let me go. <laughs> yeah. That like, sounds okay. Sure. They'd be like, okay, ma'am. Like what kind of drugs have you been using? Yeah, like, no, you went with him voluntarily. Like, So she told them everything that she could remember about his appearance, his vehicle, his apartment. They did a rape kit and sent it to the FBI to see if there was a connection. Because at this point, they were working with the FBI because at this point in time in the 80s, they were averaging about like 30 to 40 homicides a year in the Tampa Bay area. And so when all of these homicides started popping up and they were the same MO pretty much, they were like, "Mm, we have something going on. They brought in the FBI to help them out. Lisa McVeigh Noland is now a Hillsborough County Sheriff's officer. She's a deputy specializing in sex crimes and working to protect children. I was literally like crying as I was typing this, but um, she said that was my motivation to become a police officer. I'm no longer a victim. Um, and you can now watch Believe Me, The Abduction of Lisa McVeigh on Netflix. Came out a few years ago, but it's basically this case, but her perspective and what happened to her. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to watch. Yes, you're allowed to watch now because I've talked about it. Yeah, she wouldn't let me watch. I was like, <laughs> oh, after part one, I was like, I'm going to watch this. And nope. she's like, no, you're not. Have to wait. And I didn't. I was a good, good co-host. Good. Thank you. But now I'm watching it. Yes. And you can't stop. It's fine. You have my permission. So two days later, the body of 18-year-old Virginia Johnson was found dismembered in a field. Change up. I also just want to mention that this happened in different jurisdictions. So this death occurred in Pasco County. Um, All the others were Hillsborough. And then officers found a skull and upper torso dressed in a tank top with a shoelace and a piece of fabric wrapped around her neck. They inspected further and saw like she had like a necklace on her neck and everything. And they actually concluded that the dismemberment might have just been due to animals and nature. Yeah. So that was Virginia Johnson. um, Important. On November 10th, he murdered 21-year-old Kimberly Swan. She was driving drunk, and Long pulled his car up next to hers and motioned for her to, her to pull over because I think he realized she was drunk driving. Such a, such a nice guy. <laughs> uh, she then accepted his offer for a ride to grab a drink. She was already drunk. She wanted to keep going. Um, they started to argue in the car. So this is when I was saying that he's very reactive, They were arguing in the car, so instead of even attempting to rape her, he just immediately strangled her and dumped her body on the side of the highway. I wrote, this man is literal trash. I guess, so he said that he had enough of her because she started puking, and he was like, fuck this. Oh my god. Yeah. So fucked up. And her body was found by highway construction workers two days later. (gasps) Yeah, that was like a very, that was out in the open, just like on the side of the highway. So on the 15th, Long was pulled over because his vehicle matched the vehicle's description that was given to police by McVeigh. So they took his photograph, but they released him because they couldn't link him to any of the evidence that they had. He didn't confess, but he 
he said that in that moment, he felt like he'd been caught, even though he didn't say anything. Like he was like, Oh, they know, they know. And they let him go. And he was, what the fuck? He was like really surprised. He was relieved. I don't know how that just happened, but it did whatever. They ended up putting surveillance teams on him and tapped his phone lines. They eventually got a warrant to search his vehicle and an arrest warrant on charges of kidnapping and sexual battery. The next day, the body of Vicki Elliott was discovered. So this is the girl that went, someone reported her missing because she hadn't showed up to her job at the coffee shop on September oh, yeah. 7th. Okay. So that's who that was. So her body was discovered. And finally, Long was arrested on a warrant for the abduction, kidnapping, and involuntary sexual battery of Lisa McVeigh while he was coming out of a movie theater. They surrounded him. Thank God. Yeah. So his interrogation began. And he confessed to killing eight women. Um, He'd later be tried in another county for an additional murder. So that's Virginia Johnson in Pasco County. Okay. Joel Norris, he's an author who wrote a book called Serial Killers. But he has a quote from Long in there saying, I knew that when I let her go that it would only be a matter of time. I didn't even tell her not to talk to the police or anything. I just didn't care anymore. And I wanted to stop. I was sick inside. Yeah. So that's just like another example of how he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Some cognitive dissonance going on there because he did not like what he was doing. Michael Newton, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, said that if anyone was destined to become a serial killer, it was this guy. And it's funny because so he's a distant cousin of Henry Lee Lucas, which was crazy. Um, If you don't know who that is, he was a serial killer who was active between 1960 and 1983. He was guilty of 11 murders, but he confessed to hundreds. Interestingly enough, Henry Lee Lucas also had a really fucked up relationship with his mother. I'm kind of I'm kind of going to get into the investigation, the psychology and the trial all in one right now. So if I'm like bouncing around between like pathology and court, that's why. I love it. Oh, thanks. Good. Uh, But yeah, so Henry Lee Lucas also had a fucked up relationship with his mother. I thought that was interesting. And so did Gary Ridgway, um, the Green River Killer, Ed Gain, Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer. Allison, one of her favorites. He's my guy. I don't know why. Just always go back to to big old Ed. Um, Even Charles Manson. They all had mommy issues. They all ended up being killers. Not saying, but I'm saying. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. (laughs) His confession was 45 pages long. Oh my god! Yeah, so not on. I know. So he said that he originally started as a rapist, saying that it was for the thrill. The FBI ended up labeling him as a power assertive rapist, which meant he did this to display his manhood, um, which goes along perfectly with his struggles with Kleinfelter syndrome. Yeah. So he appeared before County Judge Perry Little on November 18th, 1984. And this is where I was like, holy shit, because the first murder was March 6th of 1984. So everything that happened happened within a span of eight months. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Like all of those murders. Whoa. Yeah. Made me burp. Yeah. This man is giving me some indigestion. (laughs) He is. Well, and the other thing is like, aside from the rapes that we talked about, his first rape was in March. First premeditated rape. And he, aside from like the murders, before he moved on to murder, there were about 50 rapes. So that's included in this eight month timeline. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was all before he elevated to murder. I just think that's crazy. This all happened in eight months. But so he was charged with eight counts of murder and sexual battery, along with nine counts of kidnapping. And he was also charged with violating his probation. On November 22nd, artist Wicks, 
remains were discovered. If you remember, that was the first murder Mm -hmm. back in March. Um, so kind of crazy that that was the first person he killed as the last person that they found long remained in custody and judge little ruled that a grand jury would hear his case. And on December 5th, Pasco County judge determined that he would stand trial for the murder of Virginia Johnson. She was that one that we talked about that he killed in Pasco County. So on January 18th, 1985, a private investigator notified to police that he had a copy of a letter that was written by Long. Um, a prison inmate got a hold of it and he sent the letter to the PI. But in the letter, Long detailed an escape plan, a plot to kill a girl, and a suicide plan. He told police, and Long ended up being separated from other inmates and placed in the infirmary for physical protection, which like. No, fuck him. Yeah, why is he being protected? I know. And in February, he started undergoing psychiatric evaluations. And he was evaluated by a bunch of different doctors, and they kind of all said different things. And honestly, like, several of them apply, I think. But Dr. John Money, Money. <laughs> Monet? <laughs> no, it's literally, it's literally spelled Money. I don't know why I said Money. Maybe it is Money. I don't know. Well, I have a hard time believing his last name is Money. <laughs> But how cool would that be? Now that is cool. Let's just John call him Money. Money. John Money classified him as a sexual sadist. Thank you. Like, we didn't fucking know that. I was about to say. <laughs> I could have um, told you that five minutes into this case. <laughs> so he also documented that he had temporal lobe epilepsy that induced an altered state of consciousness. So oh, this makes sense because yeah. he had 86,000 head injuries. So Dr. Robert Berlin diagnosed long with inherited bipolar or manic depressive psychosis and an organic personality syndrome caused by tissue to the brain. That's over my pay grade. He's saying psychosis and then a personality disorder that was from his head injuries, pretty much. And then Dr. Daniel J. Spree. <laughs> Dr. Are, Daniel. We are the worst with names. I know, I'm so bad. Um, he determined that Long had no mental illness or disease other than severe antisocial personality disorder. Um, But overall, while his hormonal issues and neurological issues stemming from head injuries may have contributed to his behavior, they did not excuse his crimes. Many other family members had Kleinfelter syndrome as well, like in his family. And Norris from from the serial killers book, he said they all had it and they didn't turn out to be serial rapists and murderers. So that's not an excuse. He said that hypersexuality and hair trigger violence conformed to a pattern of behavior associated with neurological damage associated with the limbic region of the brain. He said that if Long understood that his problem was a medical one, he would have had it treated. But there's no evidence to indicate that's true aside from his word. And this from a man who believed his rapes were good for his victims. Even organic impairment would not make him that oblivious or arrogant, nor would it make him despise prostitutes or women in general or make up different accounts about what he's done to victims, which that can be seen in different sources. He even admitted that he knew what he was doing and he knew that it was wrong. So case in point, literally, you knew what you were doing. He should be fully charged for everything. There should be no insanity plea, anything. In April, he was found guilty in the 
Newport Richie rape case from March of the previous year. So that was when he was doing those classified ads and right. he was with that woman in the house in Newport Richie. Yeah. Don't forget about all those rapes. This is all, that's all separate. Cause that was all pre murder phase on the 22nd of April, the trial for the murder of Virginia Johnson, the Pasco County woman that started, it took the jury 44 minutes to convict him and they recommended the electric chair. I mean, if that's your recommendation, it's only fair for me to take it into consideration. I, I, I'm going to go with them on this. <laughs> but he was sentenced to death by electrocution on May 3rd. I wrote, whoop, whoop. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Um, he appealed this. <laughs> of course. I should not. And as I've said before, a death on death penalty. <laughs> but appeal, like when you're on death row, you are on death row for a fucking minute because oh, yeah. the appeals take so long and they just appeal after appeal. So it's a drawn out process. But in the summer, Assistant State Attorney Michael L. Benito offered a plea bargain agreement to Long, which he accepted. Uh, the plea acknowledged his guilt in the remaining murder cases, but shortened the long trial process because for all of those, it was like eight counts of murder. Like that would have taken so long. Um, so he signed and was found guilty of those eight murders. He considered withdrawing, but he was just like, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. Like I'm here. Like, <laughs> it's not going to get any worse. We out here. Yeah. Like what are they? Can't sentence him to two death penalties. <laughs> I don't not only will you be dying once, <laughs> you'll be dying twice. <laughs> so in mid-July of the following year, so this is 1986 now, he confessed to a 10th murder to his court-appointed attorney. And his attorney tried to sway the jury to give him a less severe sentence by presenting the 10th murder as proof that he was legally insane. They also presented his childhood trauma, his head injuries, all of that as part of the defense. So they were really sticking to, like... It's not his fault. I'm annoyed. He hit his head. He had a bad childhood. It's okay that he did this. Let him go. We've all got shit. No, I'm sure they were just trying to get him off of death row and just be in prison for life, which, I mean, you know, everybody has their opinions, but I would be fine with that too. So in the end, no jury accepted the defense's psychiatric testimony. Uh, by the time Florida was done with Bobby Joe Long, he'd received two death sentences. Oh, he did get two. Yeah, because they were two separate trials. So okay. Virginia Johnson and then all of the other ones. Oh. Um, so he received two death sentences, 34 life sentences, many of which were reached in that plea deal, plus an additional 693 years. I love when they do that. It's so dramatic because it's it like is. you don't need to, but like, um, I'm <laughs> okay. You okay there? <laughs> I'm just thinking of like his little ghost. Damn, I'm still here. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> On February 24th, 1999, Long accused the Capital Collateral Regional Council, um, that's the state office defending death row inmates in their appeals, of revealing his private letters to a book author, thus violating attorney-client privilege. So like literally accusing his own lawyer of fucking with him. Um, <laughs> he also accused the agency of running a, quote, death pool, betting on the date inmates would be executed on and asked that the agency be removed from his case. An investigation concluded that these allegations were completely bullshit. I don't, I don't know what he was thinking with that, but so all of this was denied. According to the Florida Department of Corrections, he has one five-year sentence, four 99-year sentences, 28 life sentences, and one death sentence from all that. He died on May 23rd, 2019 by electric chair. Yeah. 
I applaud. I'm not even going to say rip because I don't want him to rest in peace. Just rest. Rest in that peace, sir. So we are going to get into, I have the FBI's profile of when they were investigating this, kind of what they were looking for. They said the victims had to depend on others for transportation. Obviously, all of these victims were like prostitutes that he picked up. So they were kind of starting with the victimology and then going from there. Okay. Um, The victims were essentially nude when found. Um, Like pretty much all the victims were nude. I think he had like one put their clothes back on. Um, The Mm -hmm. victims had all been similarly bound while one had been posed. Um, That was, I want to say it was Williams. I think she was posed with like her legs like spread open. That's Um, disgusting. I know. I didn't really want to talk about it, but um, they'd all been picked up in Tampa. They'd been left near interstate highways and in rural areas. There were tire tread impressions at the scenes. They were found at quite a distance from where they'd been last seen. They had carpet fibers that confirmed the relationship of the crimes. So they were able to use those fibers to tie the crimes together. And so with those facts, they determined that the killer was mobile and owned or borrowed a vehicle. He was looking for victims of opportunity. So like these weren't people that he knew. It was just randos that... Whoever was the easiest target. They said it was probably a white male, mid-20s. So they definitely got that wrong. Yeah. Um, Manipulative, organized. So I know I mentioned that a lot, but this is someone who plans their crimes. They usually abduct victims of opportunity. Um, They kill in one place, and then they leave the body in another place. Yeah. They would appear to be normal in society, but would also be argumentative, self-centered, and exhibit little to no emotion, which are all common traits of a psychopath. Impulsive, but not to the point of risking getting caught, and they probably lie a lot. Most likely had a high school education. If they tried college, um, it was likely that he had trouble adjusting and dropped out. Smart, but issues with authority, disruptive, had difficulty holding down a job or multiple short-term employments. Mm -hmm. Um, As a child, he was most likely delinquent and difficult to control, had resentment towards efforts to impose discipline. Possible history of that triad that I know we've talked about, so that's going to be bedwetting cruelty to animals and setting fires. Mm -hmm. He possibly served in the military, but most likely had issues with authority, probably had a woman in his life would date, um, no real long-term commitments. He would brag about sex, maybe date younger women. If married, he would definitely be unfaithful and would choose women who are dependent and easily controlled possibility of previous criminal record with crimes like burglary or voyeurism. Uh, sadistic in crimes, manipulating women with money or something that would allow him to like lure them to his car. So, um, for example, like that one prostitute drugs was a factor for her, tortures them, kills them, leaves no evidence likely to kill again. So that was their profile of the offender, which a lot of those, I was about to say, it feels like they kind of hit the nail on the head with a lot of that. Yeah, They definitely did. Um, a lot of those contribute. And I mean, we honestly talked about the psychology behind it the whole way through his resentment toward his mother. That's really common for when boys had issues with their moms. The type of victim is often prostitutes if they end up being killers. Um, that's super common. And obviously with the Kleinfelter syndrome and his, you know, lack of masculinity. I think he felt the need to like prove to the world and to himself that he was a man. There's 
probably better ways he could have done that. Like maybe joining with, a sport or I'm going to go with, there's a lot more. Yeah. Point. Like become an ax thrower. Yeah. Throw an ax at a, a tree. Go golfing. Like go I, golfing. Yeah. I think he chug a beer. I definitely took the wrong route with this. And then on top of that, we have all the head injuries. So this is like, if you're learning about it in psych, all of the factors that would ever make up a psychopath or a serial killer or serial rapist or whatever, like he had them all. And like Norris said, like he was, if anyone was going to be a serial killer, it was this guy, which is sad because if he'd been, I guess, taken care of and, you know, watched, maybe he wouldn't have his head so many times and... Obviously, he wouldn't have that resentment towards his mother. Not saying that like it's anyone's fault because obviously nature and nurture, but there's definitely a lot of factors that could have been avoided. Yeah. If you or anyone that you know has been sexually assaulted or is dealing with any issues related to that, contact RAIN, that's R-A-I-N-N, or the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. That's and, a very good resource. And that's that. Um, yeah. I always like to give a little resource. Yes, I love that. But yeah, so thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed my episode. I know it's a little different for me, but I knew that Netflix special was coming out and I wanted to do like a Tampa-centric case. Yes, and I'm sorry <laughs> because I don't have the brightest case. Brightest? <laughs> yeah, it's not a sunny. No, not a I sunny mean, day. I don't think they expected the next case to be a happy one. So it's worth a listen so that you can gain knowledge of. I'll just go ahead and say it: a serial killer who will not be named yet. You'll have to wait for that part. But it is a serial killer, and it took a lot for me to write the case. So I hope that you guys will listen to it. After that, we can never talk about that person again. (laughs) Make sure you guys go follow us on social media. So you know all about what's coming out, go and leave us a rating and a review on Apple podcasts, subscribe, follow on Spotify, all the good stuff. stuff. Yeah, everything is just crime on caffeine. Oh yeah, I probably would have helped if I said what plug the actual (laughs) and yeah our website is just crimeoncaffeine.com and if you're interested in buying me and erica a coffee you can do that now too just go right on over to crimeoncaffeine.com it'll pop up and you would be supporting the show. Yeah. Um, if you guys have any recommendations for cases that you want us to do or coffees that you want us to try Go ahead. You can submit it through our website. You can DM us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Send us a freaking email, crimeoncaffeine at gmail.com. I don't care. Just let us know because we're always open to new ideas, especially me. I can't, I, I can't stay on track. I know. You're not a planner. That's fine. I'm a planner, but I... You go rogue. I've been going a little rogue been going a little rogue. This girl won't even tell me what the name <laughs> of her cases are until she gets here half the time. I'm a potster. What can I say? A potster. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and we hope you tune in next week for my episode.